Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Is my mic too hot? No, but you are. Wow, thank you. Now that should be the first line of the episode. (laughs) I think all this is going to stay in, so I should just be professional now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a bonus episode of Broadway Breakdown. I have with me our series regular possible 1974 pedophile. Jury's still out. (laughs) Can they not see my hair? No. Well, then you're just just casting aspersions upon me. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I might take a screenshot so everyone can know. You need to put your glasses on too, though. Okay. Well, for those who don't care and are just listening, I have like a 1970s shag now. Yes. I was wearing my blue light glasses and I had like, you know, like when a bad guy is in an anime and his eyes just turn into shiny little... So I just look like a bad guy. Yeah. Hold on a second. Sorry. This is Allie Gordon, everybody. Hi. <laughs> Hi. How are you today, Miss Gordon? Pretty good. My um, it's it's mid December. My radiators have been going nonstop. Mm-hmm. My skin is melting off my face. You know. <laughs> you know. Typical New York December stuff. Just like that romantic. You know, they never talk about that in the fucking Christmas movies. About what? Like, a, like, you know, when it's like a New York Christmas miracle, no one's ever like, my skin is falling off because my radiators have been going nonstop since December 1st and um, I'm dying. What, what Christmas movie do you watch where they have a New York Christmas miracle? There are always Christmas movies in New York. Well, so maybe I need to watch more then because my, so the topic at hand today, everybody, there is a film, an opus magnus, if you will. Yes. Uh, that I discovered towards the end of November as I started doing a holiday movie marathon with my roommate who I'm related to, otherwise known as my mother. Uh, <laughs> Directly <laughs> that's my, related. That's my, um, that's my like, uh, my marketing term for her. My roommate. Yeah, it's like when kids don't want to admit that their parents are really famous and they're like, oh yeah, I mean, they're in the business. And you're yeah. like, who are they? And they're like, Robert Redford. And you're like, oh, okay. So yeah, they're in the business. <laughs> I love that that was your go-to, Robert Redford. Uh, but yeah, uh, we came ac- across this movie, I think on our fourth day, which was a mistake because nothing has matched it since. Nothing will ever. Ever will. It is the epic tour de force holiday clusterfuck that is Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. Yes. I will say though, I think I watched it entirely sober. What was that like? Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Were you just super aware of everything that was happening then? Yeah, I mean, the the truth is it it, it, uh, asks a lot of questions and answers none of them, which I think is actually kind of brave. (laughs) It's a movie that asks so many questions and and says, actually, I don't need to tell you. Um, Like, for example, like, why is the mall complex called the Cheetah Mall? because say it out loud yeah cheat them all yeah but then they're like are you like oh because so so of course it's like a person who watches tv and films and shit you're like oh shit they're taking advantage of her too this is going to be a bad deal turns out no no it's just a play on words that they decided to do it's just a play on words and and it it, it, it's a it's a question that is asked that is never answered also you're thinking about it so intensely i describe it as the movie equivalent of a cosmopolitan with a crucifix-shaped candy cane garnish inside of it that you yeah. drink at that you drink at Flaming Saddles while both It's a Wonderful Life and gay porn play in the background. Yes, I think that that's very apt. I think that's basically it. And I think that if you heard that sentence and were excited by it, <laughs> you should watch it. I think if you are expecting anything else, don't watch it. I would not necessarily call it emotionally compelling. I would not necessarily call it plot-driven. I would not necessarily call it character-driven. <laughs> it is uh, it is a train that has gone off the rails. And if you are, like, willing to just, like, ride that train like a bucking bronco, you'll have a great time. Yes. I'll say this for it. It tells you exactly what kind of movie it is in the first three minutes. One if, million percent. If you If the first three minutes don't immediately make your jaw drop, and make you go, where is this going? 
first of all, I don't want to know you. You sound like a like an awful time to be around. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, you will not like the rest of this movie. It's, but <laughs> I will say also within the first not only within the first couple minutes of the movie are you introduced to like every single character who says who they are and who, their relationship to the Christine Baranski character like outright like an improv scene, mm-hmm. but also they cut the Dolly Parton character who's like a beggar woman wearing like a Grisabella costume. And at one point in one take, there's a black tag that you can see on the Grisabella costume. And mm-hmm. I think you can, I think it's a car, like a, a, not a carpet, a blanket. Mm. I think they've like turned a blanket into a costume and then somebody forgot to cut the cat tag out and then they realized in playback that there was a tag and then they cut it out and then they continued filming. I mean, I was more just distracted by the fact that she was clearly CGI'd into the scene. Yeah. I don't um, think she met anybody. Well, so so today, this morning, before we recorded, I did some research. I rewatched certain clips of it and then like read some articles and some reviews and whatnot and then did some digging on some cast members. And there was a small article that was released like when the, when the movie came out where like one of the child actors was like, Dolly Parton saved my life on set. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't buy that story because I don't buy that she was actually there. It, the entire thing feels like she shot her stuff in her living room at, at Dollywood and they put her on. For sure. There were a lot of scenes where she like appeared as a ghost to Christine Baranski and very obviously was not in the room with yes. her near her, around her, in the same time zone as her, anything. Okay, so let's let's give some background before we delve into the movie frame by frame. Frame by frame. <laughs> frame by frame, because every frame is a masterpiece. So this is available on Netflix, guys. It's Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. Uh, teleplay by Maria S. Schlatter, I think is how cool. you say her name. Who knows? Music and lyrics by Dolly Parton, directed and choreographed by Debbie Allen. Wow. Okay. I will be honest. I didn't know that. You didn't know and... that Debbie Allen directed and choreographed it? No. Does it make more sense now? No. <laughs> How can it not? Anytime there's dancing, it's just like the most dancing, which is- There's Debbie the Allen. most dancing. There are a lot of shots of like men being lifted by other men, with which is like a full crotch shot of the being lifted man. Oh, yeah. I will say something about this movie that I appreciate is every time it gets a little- Jesus-y Midwestern townie, Debbie Allen then cuts to the gay men ensemble where they just like spread their legs open ready for all seven inches of the Christmas spirit. One million percent. And I do, I actually do appreciate that. And also every like group scene is like a couple people in the front doing like a little box step, but then like you, you kind of let your eyes drift to the back and it's just like a mishmash of tumbling. Yeah. Tumbling, cooter slams, high kicks. One million percent. Yes, and then you're, and then you've got Jennifer Lewis and the character actors doing a box step in the front. So the plot, according to the movie's press release, a rich and nasty woman, Regina Fuller, returns to her small hometown after her father's death to evict everyone and sell the land to a mall developer right before Christmas. However, after listening to stories of the local townsfolk reconnecting with an old love and accepting the guidance of an actual angel, Regina starts to have a change of heart. This is the story about family, love, and how a small town's Christmas spirit can warm even the coldest of hearts. Netflix has it listed under heartfelt, inspiring, and campy, all of which I say are accurate. Yeah, I would say all those are true. My personal favorite, so I also read some like official reviews, and I recommend reading the New York Times review for it because this is the guy who like, he knows what's up. He, he loved this movie in the same way that I loved this movie, which is, he says, it's bad. The sort of bad that knows what it is. Campy rather than camp. Campy is camp with a diploma and a martini and Christmas on the square is a drunk. One, that is so well put. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that should win a Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> That's why he Not Christmas the on the Square, by the way, just that review. No, Christmas on the Square deserves the Nobel Peace Prize. Thank you very Correct. much. Um, yeah, because what that plot summary doesn't tell you is that also it threatens to be a sort of Scrooge story where it's like, we're going to take you around to see how you've ruined everybody's lives. But then it abandons that. But then mm-hmm. she finds out she had a kid. But then, so it's it's every She plot. finds out she had a kid. Well, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> I it's, know. It's, it's every plot of every movie that you've ever seen. So mm-hmm. I would say that if you like plots of movies, you will find something you like in this movie because it has it all. 
you like plots of movies. If you've ever seen a movie and liked it, you will find some thread of this movie you connect to. Yes, it's definitely like a combination of A Christmas Carol, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, elements of Bright Star, you know? that I was going to say Bright Star too, because it's like, yeah, it's got everything. So if you like any of those a lot, don't watch this movie because it's only about five to 7% of any of those. Mm-hmm. But if you are just hungry for, cause like there's a part where they're like, what would life be like if you weren't here? And you're like, oh, it's going to be like a wonderful life. And then they're like, just kidding. It's really actually not, but you are going to find an artifact from your dad who you loved and find out who your son was. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a, it's a little bit of everything. It is a little bit of everything. There's also, um, there's, there's also like a possible like brain tumor cancer subplot that like d- also doesn't go anywhere because oh, yeah that too yeah so okay so, about yes. that. it's this movie loves to start things and then never finish them yeah it's a lot of questions and no answers you know what this movie is this movie is a straight man during sex because <laughs> it wants to start the sex but doesn't care if you finish i was gonna say i think it's it's like um and this is a high compliment it's like an art house film <laughs> where it's more about the experience than what you think of it because yes. it's almost incomprehensible to put together, but it's just a series of images. It's like the Koyaanisqatsi of the Di- of the Dolly Parton oeuvre. <laughs> it's, there are times when I feel like Dolly and Debbie Allen knew 100% what kind of movie they were making, like understood that this was what it was supposed to be. Then there are times when I'm like, did they think this was going to be like the one? It only approaches that like once or twice, which is Mm. what kind of saves it because it never takes itself too, too seriously. There are a couple moments that like you can tell that they were like, you know, this could really compel an audience. And Mm -hmm. the answer is no, it it doesn't and it doesn't and won't because at this point they're too drunk to know what's going on. But like, it's fine. It doesn't indulge too, too much. I say, Allie, we just dive right into this movie from the get go. Oh, yeah. Op- the opening, shall we? Yeah. So, the open so also first of all, there's no official soundtrack for this movie, nor does IMDb list the song titles. So, as I was rewatching parts of it taking notes, I'm giving what I think are the song titles. Sure. And I, you know what? I bet you're right. <laughs> Fingers crossed. The opening number is called either Christmas is or Christmas on the Square. Okay. Good good guesses. Good guesses. And it opens on a soundstage. The whole movie is on a soundstage. One million percent. It's an opening number where, as you said, we meet every single major character of the film and basically what their one personality trait is. Yes. So we have Dolly, who's, as far as we know, homeless and glowy. And she has a box that says change on it. And that word's important because it's used a lot for double meaning. Yeah. She just keeps coming up to people and asking, change? Mm-hmm. Change. Much Any- like uh, in a new brain. But yes. Any change. Yes. All she's asking for is change. Uh, we are introduced to the entire town, dancing people, singing people, little children, dogs in a truck or trolley, whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> um, we meet the town pastor, Father Christian, played by Josh Segarra, his wife, uh, and what's her name? Uh I wrote it down. Jenna. 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 Because he's only referring to her as like my love, darling, my dear. And no one refers to her by her first name, I'm pretty sure. So I that's have to go. That's very on true. Why yeah. does she not? Yeah, that's true. And I'll get to her costume in a second because this is actually a question I have about the town in general of like where they are and exactly what the weather is. Um, <laughs> no one will ever know. No, because it's supposed to be cold enough that there's snow on the ground. And some people are bundled up wearing thermal underwear. And yet there are women in the town bare-legged in stilettos with flowy silk skirts and jean jackets and nothing else. Or how about when Christine Baranski was standing on her balcony when in a robe and a hair towel? Yeah. I was like, like you're how cold. <laughs> yeah. How are you? Well, maybe that was like supposed to be a metaphor that like she's so cold-hearted that not even that could give her pneumonia. She you can know? never be cold. <laughs> she can never be cold. She's Christine Baranski. Uh, we also meet Christine Bransky's childhood friend, Margeline, played by yeah, Ms. Margeline. Played by Ms. Jennifer Lewis. Margeline uh, is a cat that was cut from cats, like with <laughs> certainty. 
<laughs> she was supposed to sing McCavity, but she just kept like improvising the melody line and Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, no, no, no. So she, they, they, she got cut. Yeah, she got cut. <laughs> um, Marjolaine owns the beauty salon with a bunch of voguing gays. Yep, it's just her and a bunch of gays, which I, you know, you know, maybe that is accurate representation. I'm not sure. I mean, it is the most diverse Midwestern town I can think of. Yes. And I do, my favorite line of dialogue in the whole, uh, the whole movie is at the beginning of it where uh, Jennifer Lewis, she owns her own beauty, what's the word I'm looking for? Salon? Her own yeah. beauty salon? Because it seems parlor. that they seem to, they seem to do like makeup, hair, all this shit. Yes. But she also does private appointments on request, especially for Christine Baranski, mm-hmm. who again, seems not to live in this town, but when she does live in town, Marjolaine does her hair. Mm. And the best line of dialogue in the movie is when Christine Baranci goes, now Marjolaine, I know that we've been best friends and we grew up here together, but, and it's like, okay, phenomenal. I'm obsessed. Like, I know. <laughs> just... Half of, I would say actually, no, more than half of the dialogue of this movie is pure exposition. Because 100%. my other personal favorite line of dialogue is also in the opening number where we meet the pastor and his wife, and he says to her, To the best Christmas gift we've ever given each other. Getting fertility treatments is better than anything that comes in paper. Wow. I almost kind of forgot that one. Oh, the moment it was uttered, I said, I'm going to love this movie to the day I die. We're getting so excited. We're not even in the first I know, we're not even past the opening number. So yes, the whole point of the opening number is we're introduced to everybody. Regina is doling out eviction notices to everybody because she, her father owned the town now he's dead and we know that he's dead because when she goes to meet the pastor and his wife they say to her regina fuller i haven't seen you since your father's funeral six months ago we miss him so much how have you been oh my god another incredible piece of dialogue absolutely and then her assistant felicity is singing i'm sorry in counterpoint to everyone the entire time so you have like gotta get out of this town so sorry christmas on the square so sorry it's it's wonderful Molly, jolly, whether it's in the open number or directly after at some point her doctor's like we really should talk about your test results and she's like i am too busy to talk about my test results which is crazy even <laughs> for a evil movie protagonist for somebody to be like i don't know i i, I just uh, i guess it's inappropriate for me to say here but we did see some shadows on your brain and her to be like i'm too busy for this <laughs> i mean if 2020 has taught us anything there are people like that where it's I like mean, so I you guess? so you're like you need a ventilator you're about to die and it's like no i want to get my hair cut and that's what yeah. ends up happening because that and that is actually what ends up happening is she literally is like i have to go home i'm late and you're like <laughs> wow for what i guess i i would assume a meeting with the mall corporation and the answer is no it's for getting your hair done by jennifer lewis yes or like there there are a couple times where she just comes back to the, her father's house just to come back if that makes sense like yeah. she doesn't come back to like do anything she's got this big contract for the cheetah mall that she has to sign in order to like officially sell the town she keeps putting it off but like every time she's like i have to go back i'm too busy she goes back and like she doesn't do shit um point is she serves the eviction notices. Town decides they're going to organize a resistance. A resistance do what? We never actually know. They just never keep know. talking about the resistance. Um, I also love, there's a great visual gag where like they make this giant sign saying resist Regina for the town church. And they're like, I think she can see that from space. And it is three feet wide. It is so small. <laughs> it's the smallest sign in the land. I'm, there, <gasps> are, there are men at the Eagle that have had arms longer up their asshole than that sign is wide is truly the size of like like a piece of art you could buy off like society six and have shipped to your house yes flat rate <laughs> it's like not gonna do anything not gonna also, do anything. they never ever say like what the resistance will be or if they're planning on like buying back the town or staging a protest or getting press involved again there's a question with no answer exactly they do have a scene in a song where they like brainstorm but again nothing comes of it uh, yeah and the brainstorming is like should we kill her yeah. <laughs> no. it's never like it's never like oh what if we got like the press involved and like mm-hmm. shamed her publicly it's literally like we should smack her upside the head we should kick her in the shins maybe we'll singe her hair or we'll trap her like a bear maybe we'll just rough her up a little it's you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch meets snuff that girl from your in town. That's what that's wow, about. wow, that was actually really apt. <laughs> Thank you. First <laughs> of all, how dare you? I've 
always apt, you motherfucker. This is really good, okay? Thank you. I appreciate the compliment. And I will take my hand and reach through this computer screen and grab you by the hair for that backhanded compliment. No, it was good. So, yes, Town organizes a resistance or thinks they're going to end the song, Wickedest Witch of the Middle. Uh, Is the middle like Middle America? Because that's another question we never... Yes, Answer. it's supposed to be like the Midwest because Wicked Witch of the West, Wicked Witch of the Midwest. So she's the Wicked Witch of the Middle. I mean, it's not good. But, it's not good. But um, the, the entire time we kept being like, is the town called the Middle? And it's not. And then we were like, oh, is it a play on like middle of nowhere? And it's not. It truly is just saying the middle of the country. <laughs> a Fullerville somewhere, United States. Correct. There's also a song which we kind of, we recognize for a hot second, but I just want to give it 30 seconds more spotlight where Jennifer Lewis comes to do Christine Bransky's hair and facial treatment, where she also gives a bit of expositional dialogue talking about Carl played by Treat Williams, who owns the like five and dime store or whatever. Yes. And a general store. And Christine Bransky's like, it's just business giving him this eviction notice. And Jennifer Lewis goes, yeah, well, it wasn't just business the first time. High school sweetheart sneaking behind your daddy's back. Yep. And then she sings a song to Christine Baranski that I'm pretty sure is called Feel Good About It. Or it's called Jennifer Lewis Treats Haircuts Like a Weed Whacker. Yeah, she like just absolutely goes to town on, on Christine Baranski's head. And by that I mean wig. And also yeah. they've, given, they've kind of done Christine Baranski dirty on this wig mm. that she's wearing in this movie. It is sort of like too far forward on her head with wispy bangs. It's you a good I mean? color. It's a good color on her, but it is a weird shape. It's a weird shape, and I've seen her wear better wigs. They it's like a helmet way. with bangs, essentially. Yeah, and like the bangs are like small, and it's kind of making her forehead very small too. Mm-hmm. Not my favorite of the Christine Baranski wigs. If yeah. you're a if you're a Baranski head such as I am, uh, you've seen can, her wear better wigs. How can you not be still my beating vagina? <laughs> be still my beating <laughs> vagina is one of the best lines ever in any movie ever. Absolutely, like. Sit the fuck down all about Eve. That movie, Mamma Mia 2, Here We Go Again, has just annihilated you for dialogue. I think Mamma Mia 2 is better than Mamma Mia 1, but we can talk about it on another one. I, no, nah, that's another day. Hey, won't you let me in? Let your hair down. I'm your girlfriend, hey, oh. I'll tell you where you can go and where to stick it if it is and where I think it should go. And Jennifer Lewis's song, I can't tell if the melody is weird or if she's just sharp the whole time. Do you know what I mean? Because like I could, I I could never tell if she was hitting the note or not. I was like, is is this just a weirdly written song or is Jennifer Lewis sharp for this? I don't know. The truth is, the the song went in one ear and out the other. It has it has no discernible melody. It, it didn't really have an A section or a B section. It sort of had an A B C D E F and then G section, and then it was over. Yes. But when I try to remember the song, like if I really try to remember how it goes. I can only hear in my head that song that they use in all that jazz, which is like, you gotta change your way I, today. today. That's all yes. I can really hear in my head. It's basically that, is, that song, but not as good. <laughs> it's that it's that song on cocaine with poppers because all, <laughs> it's also, it has some of my favorite lyrics of the movie, where she goes, oh, Regini playing Queenie. They say you are such a meanie. I've known you since we were teeny. Incredible. Then, then, oh, Regina, I have seen a lot of change in your demeanor. Scheming is your new arena. It's, and then Christine Baranski, <laughs> Christine Baranski, faggot that she is, faggot that she is, replies, I don't need exfoliant for this face off. Oh my God, I forgot about that too. You can also see every now and then, you can tell that Christine Baranski is trying really hard not to crack. There are it's couple, just so crazy. It's so crazy. And every She's t- just and, like smacking her head with a towel a lot. And like she, cutting her hair like it's like it's a bush. And then like she's trying to tease it, but it literally just, I don't know what it looks like. How is she teasing it? It looks like she becomes a tumbleweed. Yeah, it's, it, it's certainly no way any human has ever done hair. Certainly not a, a human who does it ostensibly professionally and like has for upwards of 30 years or something like that like supposedly as a professional yeah it's well you know again yes. worth seeing um so yes this is all to say we see the resistance we see we also see regina go to her t- high school sweetheart treat williams who owns the general store with basically just dolls it's like not even a yeah general store. it's, it's a not store. it's not a general store it's like a antiques roadshow haunted doll repository yes and 
he says something that I really hate because <laughs> everyone says it all the time in this movie, but they say it all the time in general where they're like, what happened to you, Regina? What happened to the memories I had of you? What happened to this and that? And part of me is like, yes, she's a raging bitch, but also I'm like, time goes by and people change. I'm not wet. I'm not tethered to your memory of me. Yes. And they also like never specify what she used to be like besides, I guess, nice. Nicer. Yeah. I do think is kind of BS, like in terms of like, even like, if you think about like Scrooge, right? Mm -hmm. Which obviously is a good, it's not a fair comparison because that's like a really good piece of fiction. But like, you know, like when they go back and show him like being generous with his coworkers or blah, 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 And mm. you're like, oh, there are specific ways in which this man changed. He didn't just like become a bitch one day. And everyone was like, oh yeah, by the way, Scrooge is a bitch. Yeah. Like, and that's kind of what they do in this one. There's like, Regina, now you're a bitch and you used to not be a bitch. And it's like, oh, I wish we could know. I well, wish we had any idea of who she was before she was essentially yes. a bitch. And Christmas Carol is interesting. So Christmas Carol also deals with a much narrower uh, storytelling frame like it really is just about Scrooge and like the secondary characters are all in relation to his journey so you learn about what's going on with them in relation to him whereas Christmas on the Square is trying to give like life to everyone outside of Christine Baranski and it and when you say everyone you mean everyone everyone every single person in this movie is a protagonist and is the protagonist everyone gets their moment to shine oh ooh 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 Ooh, ooh. I cannot believe that I forgot to mention this when we discussed the opening number. Truly, you could make a whole episode about the opening number. It's five minutes of just jam-packed of everything. Yes. There is, so there's one character who will pop up again in Wickedest Witch of the Middle, who, she's just an older woman. Uh, and she's always like, maybe we should rough her up a little. And she's in the opening number and she's like, ooh, how romantic. Happy holidays. And her character name is literally Granny Hoover. Incredible incredible but also there's a little boy so they have a they have a line in the opening number about like snowball fights and this little boy throws a snowball and another one gets thrown back at him and it hits him in the face and in um in post i guess is it looping when like they when they have someone like dub voiceover stuff oh adr adr yes so they do adr with this boy where he gets hit in the face and you hear him go ow my eye protagonist he's a protagonist because we needed to know how he felt about getting hit in the face i'm like with that the movie is so concerned to make, make sure everyone has a voice that the whole thing is like you just get so thrown you're like but wait what happened to his eye wait what happened to her what happened to her and him um i i, I actually like i think it's like an amazing genre of film it's sort of like the magnolia of <laughs> christmas movies where you're just like oh yeah don't, don't don't worry don't worry we're gonna come back to them and they're gonna have a breakdown don't you worry <laughs> But, but they're like, Magnolia was too long, so we're going to do what Magnolia did in about half the time. One million percent. All you're going to get is, ow, my eye, but you'll, you'll get a sense of an inner life there. <laughs> I'm loving this. I've never made a better decision in my life than to talk about this movie with you. I'm so glad. <laughs> uh, I just, like, I, I feel like I have nothing, like, worthwhile to say because it is, like, one of those things that, like, I, it just has to be seen. Yeah, but and like you will either love it or hate it. There's like simply no in between. Sure, you, there's no in between, but also I don't know. It's, I'm able, to, so I have now officially watched this movie two and a half times, Incredible. and I intend to watch it for a third and a half time on Christmas Day. So I have a lot of resources at my fingertips right now, but also like it just it immediate reactions are sometimes enough for this movie like it you don't need someone to like dissect everything it's nice sometimes but you also can just like have a lot to say off of just an immediate reaction you know yes and so i want to talk about one of my strongest reactions in this film which was to uh the i would assistant executive assistant chauffeur i don't know what her felicity who i immediately recognized from so you can dance Okay, that so yes, I did not know that's what she was from. I had seen her in one episode of You're the Worst, and I remember, yeah. and I saw her in this being like, oh, look at her, she's getting her moment. And then Dolly Parton sings a song to her slash with her where they end up in a dance studio for 40 seconds due to yes. Christmas magic. And I'm like, okay, I Why? guess they wanted to show that she dances. And then when I found out she used to be on So You Think You Can Dance, I was like, oh, it's uh, fan appeasement. 
Yes, exactly. And also, like, the dancing has nothing to do with anything. And also, for a movie that has a lot of dancing that's, like, in the plot, it's mm-hmm. weird that her dancing all took place out of the plot. Yeah. But whatever. Uh, so anyway, they were clearly putting a lot of time on her. And you were like, what is going to happen with her and this assistant? And again, because it's like, everyone keeps being like, she's such a Scrooge, that Regina. You keep being like, I wonder if she's like the Bob Cratchit. And like, we have to figure out like what's going on in her life. And the minute that Regina's like, oh, I can't believe I've never asked you about your life. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm only here working for you because my dad's dying and I need money for his treatment. And then she's like, I'll pay for the treatment. Nope, she's also an angel, but she's an angel in training. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, like, these are the kind of revelations that you can't buy. Yes. You gotta like, <laughs> I, and- I mean, I was, ast- can I say, I was astounded. <laughs> So, like, Dolly's character is, like, omnipresent. She's always popping up. She's always asking for change. And then she shows up in Christine Baranski's apartment after Christine Baranski's been told she might have a brain tumor. And she shows up in her Dolly finest, like, white, glittery outfit, sitting on a floating cloud the entire time. Loved that. Legs crossed like the fucking lady that she is. And she sings about, like, everyone needs an angel. And then she sings about Christine Baranski's dad, who used to own the town but died six months prior. She's like, your daddy used to love having lamplighters. He loved lamps because he would read about lamps. And everybody needs to shine their lamp. And I'm like, that's a very long road to get to our point. Um, But, yeah, so you find out that Felicity is an angel in training because Dolly shows up in Christine Baranski's kitchen talking to Felicity and she's like, the whole reason for being an angel in training is you got to learn how to be an angel. And yeah, and then it doesn't make sense that like, why are the two of them assigned to her case? Because it's like, Dolly's clearly on the case, but Felicity's well, also on the case. Yeah, it's very muddled because I, I think what it's supposed to be is that Dolly is on Felicity's case. Like Dolly is training Felicity and Felicity is on Christine Baranski's case because there's a moment in the opening when Dolly asks, there are two moments actually in the opening. There's one where Dolly asks Christine Baranski for change. And Christine Bransky walks away and Felicity says to her, sorry, no change. And when I first watched it, I thought it was her like apologizing to the homeless woman. And upon rewatching it, I'm like, that, I guess that's like her update for Dolly. Like, Wait, like, oh, no change yet. Like, yeah, because the whole point is that Felicity is supposed to get Christine Bransky to change her heart and her mind. And, and she does not do She that. does not do it. Christine does it on her fucking own. Uh, and also kind of Dolly, but like, so anyway, there was no reason for this woman to be an angel, but she is. She, she, get, she gets promoted anyway because she's a pretty thin woman. Um, I want to get to this moment because it's my legitimately my favorite scene in the movie. And I mean this like in every way, shape, and form. <gasps> Regina shows up to the resistance and yells at them all for hating her. The deadline to be out of your homes is now Christmas Eve. <gasps> and they sing a song about how they're going to work together, but they never actually do. And... Christine goes into a bar that is bartended by a little seven-year-old girl named Violet. Yes, who pours herself a drink. Who pour- She pours Christine whiskey and pours herself chocolate milk. Correct. And, and Christine Baranski, or the character of Regina, but I think by extension, Christine Baranski, yes. is enamored by this little girl and her like hardness towards life. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, yeah, yeah you, you said it sister, men suck or like whatever. And I yes. actually, and I really do mean this and I'm not being facetious in any way, shape or form when I say, it was my favorite scene too because I think I could tell how much fun Christine Baranski was having. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I too now am having fun watching this like little girl be like, lady, I grew up in a bar. What do you think? I don't know my crayons. And you're like, damn <laughs> bitch, I love you. <laughs> I don't know my crayons yeah because the girl's written in a way where she's like not super street tough Annie because also like the town she grew up in is literally the most wholesome of towns yes and like she grew up in a bar but the bar is basically like appointed like a bed and breakfast it's not like a rough and tumble pub it's like yeah it's like a nice it's like like tchotchkes on the wall yeah like yeah there, there are no drunks who are just like vomiting on the on the bar bachelorette parties peeing on the floor it's it's wholesome town folk who just like want to get a little drink so she just serves and also like i will say i would have loved it if christine brancy was like i'll have a sex on the beach and violet knew exactly how to make it i I mean like i kind of i i genuinely think there's like rules against like we can't see like a child mix a drink on screen but like i think that was the intention of that 
Like I, I can still, I can see in my head an alternate version of that scene where she mixes her a mojito and like crushes the mint and like, yeah. it's like a really great bargain. Is that really a rule that you can't show a child? No, I, I'm just, I'm, I am assuming that if it's like going to get a rating of a, of a PG or something like that, you sure. can't like watch like a child, like engage with alcohol in a meaningful way or something. Yes. I mean, while she is a wonderful bartender, she also doesn't do that much as a bartender. She literally pours alcohol into a glass just also in she it. pours her and i mean this more whiskey than anyone's ever poured another human like <laughs> if if you if like a, if a healthy pours two fingers she it's like a fist and a half like it's so wild Allie, that's what i mean when i say that both it's a wonderful life and gay porn is on in the background yes yes and like and then they like talk about like how tough life can be in a sort of like not serious way where they're just like, yeah, you know, Christmas means nothing to me. It's just another day. And Christine's like, yeah, I know. And then we find out that the little girl is actually jaded and bitter because her mom died. And she's guilty about it because she had a fever and her mom went out to get medicine and died. Yeah. So this is where, this is where the true turning for Christine Baranski starts because we learn that Christine Baranski's, so, okay. So the whole like main gist is how like Christine Baranski technically owns the land that the town is on and she inherited it from her father. But I guess like he had been sick for a few years before he actually died. And so when that happened, she was in charge of like running the town, which I don't know if that's actually how towns work where like you're the, <laughs> like you own the land. So you basically get to say what happens in the town. I don't think that that's ever been true or ever will be true. Like, yeah, I don't the, think that, like, if you decide to sell a piece of property, you can just be like, oh, and also, by the way, knock everything down. Yeah, it's it's a little, it's one of those, like, Scrooge McDuck, like, well, I just I just, don't I live in a, I swim in a pile of money. Yes. So I can do whatever Don't worry about it. But the essential idea is, like, she inherits, she is responsible for the town for a few years and she raises rents and she, like, evicts businesses that aren't doing well. Um, which like kind of makes sense. It is like a very warped version of the truth in terms of like land ownership. Uh, but the, the idea is that she wouldn't allow people who were behind on their rent to continue with their businesses. So the town pharmacy had to close and thus Violet's mom, when she was a baby had to drive 20 miles to the next town to get her medicine and drove back and like, in a storm got swept up in the wash and drowned. Okay. And See, violence- you know, I feel like it would have been such an easy fix. I guess it would have been more evil, which is probably why they didn't do it. But it, like, it would have been so much easier for them to be like, yeah, the, the lady who like was in charge of this town didn't give a shit about us. And there, there was like a derelict bridge that we always wanted to have like fixed or mm -hmm. whatever. And then like one night my mom was driving back on the bridge and like the bridge collapsed and then there was like a lawsuit, but she like crushed it. So well, I think they wanted we don't have money and my mom's dead. I think they wanted to do it. So Christine Bransky wasn't like directly responsible for it because that's right. the whole thing was Violet does. Violet also doesn't know that she's talking to Christine Bransky. She thinks she's talking to like some random woman. She doesn't know that right. she's talking to the woman who's running the town out. And she, Violet says, like, my dad blames her. I don't blame her because if I hadn't gotten sick, my mom would still be alive. And that's what breaks Christine Baranski. Yeah, and she's like, oh, no, don't say that. And then it gets interrupted. She doesn't even say don't say that. All she says is no. She says no six times. She goes, no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it reminds me of Skylar telling her sister on Breaking Bad to shut up. Oh, my God, I love that. What's her name? Christine Claire? Uh, Claire. Skylar. No, Skylar's sister, though. What's her name? Ooh, Marie. Marie. She's literally like just, that's why I thought she was Claire. Marie Claire. I'm a, I am a Marie gay. Claire. <laughs> like, Marie, just shut up. Just shut up. Shut up. Shut up. For me, that's Christine Baranski telling Violet, no. No. I loved that. No. It's great. Um, flash forward, Christine Baranski goes to get a CAT scan, which ends up being that her tumor's not anything. But while she's getting the the CAT scan, we reminisce and find out what made Christine Baranski, Christine Baranski. And unlike Ebenezer Scrooge, where you find out it was like a series of things over his life, like being orphaned and like going to a workhouse and then like growing up poor and working his way up, like little things contributed to him becoming who he is. Christine Baranski, we find out, dated Treat Williams back in the day and at a Christmas dance, saw him with a ring to another girl, which of course, like any Tom, Dick, or Harry could tell you, he was showing the ring he was going to be giving her to a friend. Because yeah. 
it's supposed to be circumstantial. You see him silently give a ring to another girl, and she and like, she's like, him. "Oh wow!" And he's like, "Not down on one knee or anything either." So it's and like pretty kiss. obvious. It's like it's a very yeah, it's very obvious. Yes. And she's like, well, I was so hurt that I danced with the first guy that paid attention to me. And it's a guy who's very clearly like 30 years old. Yeah. Um, classic like 70s. Uh, uh, what's the one I'm looking for? Sleazeball, like goatee, chest hair, like but- shirt unbuttoned down to his dick. And, he's, and he like <laughs> walks up to like young Christine Branson and be like, you, I'm going to get you pregnant tonight. Which he does. Which he does. And, and Christine Bransky's dad's like, we must give away the baby. And then she's like, I hate you for giving away the baby. Which then leads us to Christine gets out of the hospital where she's like, I don't, I don't say like she comes to peace with her past because she finds out that her dad like felt bad about giving away the baby. But she walks out and you find out that Violet and her dad got into a car crash and Violet needs brain surgery. So she Well, tells not only that, but again, another amazing line of dialogue. We were on our way to the cemetery so she could leave flowers on her mother's grave like every Christmas. And on the way back, my car skidded off the road. And he doesn't like, even okay. say that. He said he says he says the Christmas thing. Violet's dad says the Christmas thing, and he goes, "It's all my fault." And then all of a sudden, Father Christian and his wife show up, and they go, "No, we saw it all. That man ran into you and drove away." And and it was, they might have all been like, "And it was nine thirty-six p.m. One on million this, on percent. these just, coordinates." Just them being like, "Well, we were going and putting flowers on my mother's grave, like we do every single Christmas." And it's like, and, and the reaction to that is like, everyone's like, "Well, yeah, duh. Like everyone yes. does. Like that's the what entire town." Does. The entire town within five seconds knows that Violet has been hit because as soon as Christine Baranski finds out and they bring her into the hospital, Jennifer Lewis shows up with like 12 people from the town and they go, what's the latest? And Christine Baranski goes, she just went into the hospital. I'm like, oh my God, this town is faster than Twitter. It's amazing. But also, so Christine Baranski is like, I have a friend who's the best pediatric brain surgeon in the world helicopter him in it's and then even her, assistant, more, her assistant's like yeah sure i will it's even and more again, generic not, than that she's like find out who the best pediatric neurosurgeon is in the country and helicopter them and in. get him <laughs> and get him or her and and within all it takes is one musical number where violet's dad sings a song to her about like if you need to go to your mom in heaven do it which like granted i know we're shitting on this movie that gentleman sang like an angel. Oh my God, he sang like an angel. And cried like a goddamn dream. Yeah, no, that was a star, that was a star making performance. I did, however, think it was so funny that they were like, the last doctor we saw was like, she's in stable condition, but maybe not for long, which was like, I think a pretty okay generic dialogue thing. And then I Mm. thought it was so funny that the rest of his song was like, baby, if you gotta die, go ahead and die. I (laughs) thought it was gonna end with him putting a pillow over her face. (laughs) I was like, stop, she's okay. Like, it was a weird, I, I thought it was a weird thing to focus on after getting such good news to be like, for them to be like, she's in stable condition. We just need somebody to look at her brain. And for me, and then like for you as an audience member to like take that as like, okay, well, I I assume she'll be okay. I hope. And Mm -hmm. for his whole song to be like, if you have to go. <laughs> they, they might as well have been like, she's improving, but we don't know how quickly her recovery is going to be. And, like, and he kills her. Like, You want to fucking die, just do it. That's, that is how I felt when I was watching. Like, I was joking about it with my friends of just being like, he is going to take that pillow and he's going to smother her to death. Because they all have to pack up because they all have to leave the next day. Oh my God. Um, and so, oh, so by, literally by the end of his number, the neurosurgeon is there and he's like, you're from a hundred miles away. And she's like, well, you have a guardian angel. And I'm like, I can't tell you what's yeah. over 100 miles away from New York City. I would never know. But I guess they live in a town where the nearest pharmacy is 20 miles away. So I, I guess you... Yeah. I guess I mean, if you, like, don't have anything near you, you are aware of how far things away are. I mean, I guess if you live in a state where most spouses are cousins, like, there are maybe six towns in the entire state. In a movie where Dolly Parton could just be an angel and save this girl from her brain damage... Mm-hmm. Instead, Christine Baranski has to fly a real human in to prove that she's a good human. But, but it's like- it bo- both things happen, though. Christine Baranski flies in a real human to fix Violet's brain. And then they're like, now if only Violet would wake up. I'm like, bitch, she just came out of surgery five minutes ago. Right. Give her a and second. Then, and then Dolly Parton comes and shakes her awake with magic. And, is like, and she up, wakes bitch. up, yes. Yeah. And then eventually Violet is able to dance in the town square the same evening that she had brain, brain surgery. Damage. One yes. million percent. Um, the way that Josh Segura is like, good news, Violet's recovering. Now she would just wake up. And I yeah. shouted on my screen. I said, give her a minute. Like, she can't. Like, they're like, she... wake up now. We have to move tomorrow. Her brain is swollen. <laughs> Let they her. Don't care. They don't get, well, yeah, they do have to leave. But so then, uh, so Felicity is like, 
kind of helping Christine Bransky see the light of her ways because like life is getting Christine Bransky to change her heart. But now like Felicity is trying to help her change her mind to not sell the town. Um, but then like eventually just abandons Christine Bransky, like goes to the town meeting anyway, while Christine Bransky like goes on her own. It's all very yeah. crazy. It, it, it's like one of those things where like Dolly Parton was like, Hey, you have to give her time. And she's like, we don't have any time. And so she like forces her to go like have a reconciliation with her, uh, high school love high school love and Dolly Parton doesn't think it's going to be a good idea but does that doesn't make sense because she's I guess omnipotent and should know that it's a fine idea but mm-hmm. whatever Felicity has to be like no trust me it's a good idea and so then she abandons her over there and then they make up and you know mm-hmm. gives her an opportunity to go dance in the next dance number yes and then Christine Bransky's in her home and she her father like has this lamp head which is a prototype, by the a way. Prototype, yes, a prototype for the lamps that he wanted in now, the Now you might right. be asking, is it anything other than just a regular old gas lamp? And the answer is no, which is probably why the prototype didn't go anywhere, because he, I think he just reinvented a gas lamp. <laughs> That's again, classic white man just like reinvented he's something like, that I already existed. Yeah, they're like, No, sir, you didn't make that. That's a candle. And he's like, I made this. <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie To Die For with Nicole Kidman? I don't think so. Oh, first of all, get into it. So though it's a nineties movie and it's like really the movie that kind of made Nicole Kidman separate from Tom Cruise. And everyone was like, Oh, she's an actress. Cause at that time she was just like known as Mrs. Tom Cruise, but it's a black comedy that she stars in as this woman who desperately wants to become like a news anchor. She wants to be on TV. She wants to be famous and essentially seduces teenage Joaquin Phoenix and Casey Affleck to murder her husband, Matt Dillon. Oh, I'm obsessed with this plot. Oh, right? definitely watch it. It's amazing. Holland Taylor's also in it. Huh. Um, bunch of people. Dan Hedaya. Part of the humor is how like Nicole Kidman's character is just so vapid. Mm-hmm. And half of the movie's done sort of like as a mockumentary style. You, people are being interviewed about Diane, about Nicole Kidman, and like flashes back and forth of present day and past. But so I say I bring it up because we mentioned Christine Bransky's father and the prototype of the lamp, and he's like, "Look at this thing I made." When they're talking about Nicole Kidman's wedding to Matt Dillon, Matt Dillon's sister, who like very clearly hates Nicole Kidman's character, they're interviewing her. She was like, yeah, uh, Larry was really proud of, uh, I already forgot Nicole Kidman's character's name. Uh, oh, Suzanne. She's like, he was very proud of Suzanne because she designed the wedding rings. And she goes, you want to know what they look like? They were round and yeah. gold. <laughs> that is this. Yeah, he, it's very so that. he invented a lamp, but I guess the lamp also had a secret compartment with, with a, Bible a diary in it. In it. Oh, it, it was a, a Bible. Bi- it was a fucking Bible. And the Bible. Bible was annotated like a diary. Yes, with like the family history to which Christine Brancy says, and it's written in a Bible, so it must be true. That is astounding. I was like, those are loaded, loaded words. Um, um, I'm, I, that is an astounding piece of knowledge. Yes. It's, so yes, Christine Brancy finds this like secret compartment to the lamp prototype, to which I'm like, does, now I'm going, does every lamp in town have a secret compartment? Have a secret compartment. compartment. I, I don't know. They never specify if that's what's the prototype or not. This movie became Pretty Little Liars all of a sudden. Like, it, yeah. I mean, this is like the bright star section of the movie, which is that, like, surprise, your son's been here all along. Yes. He's alive and he's in your life. Now, uh, I will say we all made a called shot that it was going to be a daughter and it was the wife of the pastor because she seemed to not really have any major purpose in the movie and we felt kind of bad for her and so we were other like, than oh, not being able gonna, other than not, not being able to get pregnant correct which thing. we thought was not a personality trait which spoiler alert it isn't so we were like oh she's gonna be the lost daughter turns out she's not i think we're thinking about this a little too much and then when it ended up being father christian i called it only because it seemed like such an obvious choice but also like there was no indication ever that like he was an orphan, that he didn't yeah. know his parentage. I would have thought at the very least, because it would have been easy for him to like in a sermon have been like, you know, like you have to be with our families at this difficult time. And a family can be anything. It doesn't have to be your biological parents. I don't know mine. Mm-hmm. It would have been so easy. And so like, I, I almost, th- I naively thought it couldn't be him because he had never talked about not having parents. So yeah. that's pretty naive of me to think that this movie had any consideration towards like anything like that and script revisions. So well, that's yeah. me. It's, it, all, all it needed was like two lines where she's like, I don't know. She's like, what if I can't have kids? Like, would that be the worst thing? He's like, we'll make her own family. He's like, I guess I just, I really want a family because I never really had one growing up. So I want to make my own. Like, all it takes is that. 
It would have been so easy, but they didn't. And so, of course, I was like, oh, I mean, if it was him, he would have said something. Exactly. Which is a silly thing for me to say. I think think if it were his wife who was the kid instead, that would also be a little more problematic because it's like, oh, now she can get pregnant because now she knows where she came from. Like, oh, women can't get pregnant unless they know where they came from. Okay. Well, Matt, obviously- the real moral of the movie is women can't get pregnant unless Dolly Parton impregnates you. Yes. So let's discuss this because this is the ultimate moment of the movie. And I don't know if you know this, but Trixie and Katya just released a video of them watching Christmas on the Square. Were they obsessed with this moment? This moment didn't show up. They didn't no, show that's it in, to them. That's insane. It's Because it, it is, I think, the crown jewel of the movie. So there's a song towards like in the third act of the movie where Dolly's wandering all over the town she's singing in the gazebo which by the way in the opening number again coming back to the opening number there's an aerialist in the gazebo of oh the yes opening number. it's phenomenal so dolly's in the gazebo and everyone around the town is like w- holding candles i guess like to hold vigil for violet and they just really want this bitch to wake up they really do they're like bitch we gotta get out of here tomorrow wake the fuck up which then i'm also like what happened to the resistance then <laughs> so dolly goes like floats in the hospital like throws some Christmas magic at Violet so she can wake up, then goes past Father Christian's wife, points at her, and Christmas magic goes into her stomach and she gets pregnant. Yep, and she like, at se- now you might be thinking like, okay, well then the next time she takes a test, she'll be surprised. Mm-hmm. At the end of the movie, she's talking to her husband and she's like, I think I think I can feel it. I'm, yeah. I think that it's happening this time. And I was like, holy shit. Not only was she impregnated by Dolly Parton, but it was like, palpable she was like whoop it's in there well i guess so this movie also has a very odd sense of what time is so if we're going realistically off of the aesthetic of christine baranski's dance flashback father christian is 45 years old because that dance was taking place in the 70s well that's crazy because he's does not no they do not think he he's not 45 years old in life well josh sierra is is 34 i guess he was like probably 33 when they made it that's my get. i mean that's what it feels like they yeah, are early 30s but the i mean the that dance aesthetic is saturday night fever it is the 1970s yeah. and you can't tell me i'm being nitpicky because you literally look at, like there's not a single trace of any 80s of that dance it is full 70s it is full 70s even the music they like choose like a weird like disco-y track but on top of that they have you know they've got violet who goes into a coma essentially gets brain surgery comes out of the coma in about 20 minutes they fly in someone from over 100 miles away in under five minutes the preacher's wife can feel her newly inseminated inseminated baby after five minutes this movie doesn't really understand how time works which is fine but like own up to it yeah and like, like at the end like the number the big like uh, it's christmas number should be like the next day but it also kind of feels like it's been a year yeah well i guess like it gets it turns to midnight so it becomes Chris, because the 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 movie ends as it's about to become Christmas Eve, not even Christmas Day. Oh, that's right, because they're supposed to leave on Christmas Eve. Yes, and they're still there. Um, which there, this town has its priorities all mixed up because you see them packing before they go to the church to like pray for Violet's recovery, but also like they said they were going to organize a resistance. So I'm like, what is it? Like, what are, are we packing? Cause you got to be out tomorrow. Are you resisting? Are you praying for like, what's going on? What's happening? And Jennifer it's- Lewis does this whole like revival song with everyone in the church that basically is like, y'all have been singing your candlelight vigil. Now it's time to like wake up. Yeah. It's again, it is a movie full of questions and not answers. So exactly. if you are looking for an answer of any of those questions, those you just, you're never going to, no, there is no gonna. answer to that question, the- but it's a happy ending and Violet wakes up. Yes, she does. And Christine Baranski's doctor is like, ah, you almost hit me with your car. And she's like, oh, sorry. And he's like, and also, by the way, you're not dying. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, was it, was she never dying? And like the whole change thing, basically the question is, was she, because she was like, oh, I can only see Dolly Parton. I'm only, I'm going crazy. I have a brain tumor. And it's like, I never, I never had a brain tumor. So I, this must've all been real. That's one way of reading it. And then the other way of reading it is um, Dolly Parton cured her brain tumor as a, as a reward for being a nicer person. I never saw Christmas magic go into Christine Bransky's head. So I'm going to believe that it was never a brain tumor and that. Yeah, but the doctor is basically like, it's a Christmas miracle. And then like, she's like, miracle. She has like a moment where she like ponders that it could be is magic. It such, is it such a miracle that the scan got it wrong? I feel like that happens sometimes. 
Or yeah, no, I don't. Movie? It is not that crazy for for them to be like, oh yeah, we thought we saw shadows, but we didn't see shadows. Sorry, but like that that is another question that is never answered because like there is a moment where she acts kind of like, wow, I wonder if my life was spared by an angel because I'm a good person. But then the script seems to imply there was never anything wrong at all. You're not going crazy. It's all totally fine. Exactly. And then you find out. So Christy Moretzky has this like big come to Jesus moment, literally, because she tells Father Christian, you're my kid. And then he does this whole sermon where he says, please welcome my mother. My mother. My mother, Regina Fuller. And everyone in the town's like, oh, Regina, Regina, Regina. She shows up all in white with the pastor's wife, like holding her as she like walks to the, to the altar and you see dolly show up on top fully angels in america og realness yeah. and christine rancy's like thank you and dolly's like i'm the answer to your father's prayer so it's like i guess then so i guess what ended up happening was as her father was dying six months prior he prayed to the angels to like help his daughter see the light yeah i think he prayed that his daughter wouldn't become a bitch but if she did can somebody go kick her ass please <laughs> So I guess that's our answer is that Felicity has been working for her for six months because that's when Dolly Parton was like, I'm going to give my angel in training to Christine Baranski. And no, she, I actually think that makes sense. And then, and because Felicity hasn't been doing her job well, now Dolly's like, well, now I got to step in, which is why Christine Baranski's like, this is the first time we've seen homeless. It's like, yeah, because your assistant isn't doing her real job. I think that's, I actually think that is the correct answer. That she's been working for her for six months. And I think that's a really great idea if it was more clear. Yeah, there are so many ways that we, we could, if, I think if somebody had taken one singular second pass at this script, we would have had right. a lot of these things cleared up. But I think this script was written one time and one time only, and then it went right into production. Absolutely. And I, I think that's, a, that's part of the joy of the movie. That is absolutely part of the joy of the movie. Um, so on a scale of, one to ten chocolate milks how many chocolate milks will you give christmas on the square i mean i'm gonna give it 10 chocolate milks because okay. i i want to say like i i kind of was talking about this at the beginning like i am not like a christmas movie person mm -hmm. and like i'm never gonna watch like the princess switch and the princess switch too like that's not for me it's actually the princess switch switched again but that's okay that's simply erasure mama mia too Ma mama mia here we go again yeah um <laughs> <laughs> so like for me to have enjoyed this so much and to be like I would watch it again next Christmas is like a lot do you yeah. know what I mean for me to be like not only did I enjoy this but I would like make it part of like a Christmas routine absolutely so you know that's pretty cool uh I obviously as you can tell don't can't tell you what happened in the movie and the order in which it happened <laughs> because it makes no sense but that doesn't matter no I mean the only reason why I can give it to you like bullet point is that I was I was taking notes this morning as I was sort of skimming through it it also like it shouldn't take me two and a half viewings and talking to you about it for an hour to understand the timeline of Dolly Parton and Felicity like yeah that, that's what we call like I don't know implication storytelling or like uh impressionistic I was I was about to say like you know I was about to be like you know the Monet type of painting yeah you know it's like it's like a bunch of little dots if you stand too close when you step away it's Dolly Parton Christmas on the Square. <laughs> <laughs> but truly, like, it is the kind of script that, like, if they had had one person take a good, like, take a pass through it who, like, wasn't originally on the team, mm -hmm. I think they would have been like, oh, you know, you never say how long she worked for her, right? And they're like, yeah, mm, yeah you're right. I um, think can I leave this with a, can I leave with a recommendation? Yes, please. A sincere one. Yes. So, I'm going to tell you about a movie that I recently watched that has all female leads, was written by two women, directed and choreographed by women, produced by women, and uh, had, I think, women costume design, da, 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 da. It is on Disney Plus, and it is called Godmothered, and I loved it, and I cried. <laughs> okay, Isla Fisher's in that, is she not? Yes, and, and Jillian Bell, who I think is, like, a, a true star of our generation, and I, like, love her so much. How do I know Jillian Bell? She was on Workaholics for a long time, um, which was not a big show. I, like, didn't love that show, uh, but then she did Britney Runs a Ramp Marathon. Yeah. And she's, like, phenomenal in that movie. She was on that show on Comedy Central that I, again, also didn't think was amazing. That was, like, called, like, Babysittered or something like that. Either way. Mm -hmm. I think she is, like, one of the best comedic talents of our generation and is a sincerely good actor. Mm -hmm. And so, like, unlike when you watch Rebel Wilson just sort of, like, saying lines in a weird voice, this is, like, a woman who, like, is a true character actor. And mm -hmm. I, like, love her so much. And I thought the movie was great. And, um... 
had a great cast of like complete and total weirdos like Jane Curtin. You were like, why are you here? It was great. I loved it. And I was in an emotional mood already, but I did. It, it takes place around Christmas. So I feel like it like could be a Christmas movie mm-hmm. and it made me cry. I loved okay. it. I'll get into it. So I do want to kind of end this episode on a positive note for the film. Cause first of all, I've been very open about how much I do love this movie, but I feel like every time I talk about why I love it, it's for the quote unquote wrong reasons. Uh, So I do want to close out with an IMDb review that I found pretty short. And then I'm going to go through the main cast and sort of say like a nice thing about each person in the movie. (laughs) Um, So on IMDb, Graham VR writes best ever, the best movie ever that Netflix has had anything to do with in a long, long time. I do understand all the bad reviews here. It's Christmas. It's a Christmas movie. Wonderful songs, wonderful choreography by Debbie Allen. So the story is not what everyone wants, but it's lovely to watch. Great to see Treat Williams again. Dolly is magnificent. Watch it for what it is and enjoy the spirit of Christmas. All seven inches of it. Mm -hmm. I remember reading many years ago that White Christmas got many negative reviews, but now it is a classic. That's the review. And you know what? And and that was a threat. That was a dot, dot, dot. That was like, and this will be a classic. So help me God. (laughs) I guess I would give it... um, 10 out of 10 eggnogs, four out of six brain tumors, and um, I guess uh, half of a cheetah mall. Yeah, and one Douglas Sills cameo. And Yes, we didn't even mention that Douglas Sills plays Christine. <laughs> Sorry, Brandy's Doug. Dad. And uh, three out of five time lapses, and uh, four out of seven immaculate conceptions. Yes, and one fan kick to end them all. Exactly. Is immaculate the right word? Immaculate Conception? Yeah. Isn't that what they say at Christmas? Isn't it? That it's I don't the Immaculate Conception? I think so. I have come to find out that I will either make up words or I'll take real words and put them together where they're not supposed to be. My problem is I don't know anything about Christmas or the Bible. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Those are very we, different things. We were like, you know that, you know like the fucking heads up game yeah. that you play on your phone? We were playing it and we've like run out of things to do in quarantine and so mm-hmm. we're like just like go- going to the packs that like nobody plays one of which is the bible and we were playing it and they were like i i think i i think i got one clue right out of all of them mm-hmm. it's it's sad all of my knowledge of the bible comes from jesus christ superstar and joseph children and of eden and children of eden well no because children of eden takes some liberties well children i got one i think i got one question right because of it Children of Eden implies that Cain killed Abel because he was trying to kill Adam. That is not the case. That's erasure oh. and everyone knows it. Okay, well, I, not me. <laughs> not you. I mean, that's- I genuinely thought that was part of the Bible because like, that's the only thing I know. Has anyone ever made a Cain and Abel like incest porn? You know they have. It has to exist somewhere, right? At the end, does he kill him with a rock? A hard, hard rock. See? Okay. So my <laughs> guess is somebody's made it, and if they haven't, you got to get on it. I don't know if he kills him with a rock, but he sure rocks his world. There you go. There you go. Okay, Allie, I think we've come to the end. We've talked about as much of Christmas on the square as he possibly could. We were just, we were just starting to, to cross into heresy, so I think it's a good time for us to stop. <laughs> exactly. Um, you can find Christmas on the square on Netflix. Allie, where can people find you? Um in my apartment all the time because it's still quarantine and we don't do anything. Uh-huh. Uh, but if you are on Twitter, I'm at Miss Alice Nutting. That's M-S-A-L-I-C-E-N-U-T-T-I-N-G. Yes, it is reference to the mystery of Evan Drood. I guess I kind of regret it, but I kind of don't. You can catch me on Instagram at Matt Koplik, usual spelling. We close out every episode with a lovely diva. Uh, we've already closed out with Chris- Christine Baranski. Oh, no. Uh, I know. And, like, I guess we could do Dolly. She's not really theater, but then again, we can't like, do We can't do um, Angel Eyes for Mamma Mia. It's two divas. It, uh, we could. I don't know. I don't think so. You know what? I'm going to try and find audio of Debbie Allen from, like, Sweet Charity. Hell, yeah. There was actually a video that was going on recently, and it's pretty fierce. Yeah. I mean, she, woman was the most amazing dancer, uh, but I'll find some audio for his charity, and she will be our diva tonight to close us out. It also could be, I just want to throw this out there because we did mention this in the beginning of it, it could be there are going to be some changes made and ranking as a, as a tribute also because we talked about that in the beginning of this episode. We did. Uh, tomorrow's ep- uh, The episode that's coming out tomorrow or at this point will be two days before this episode oh already has already has and rank my view of time with this podcast is similar to how christmas on the square views time yeah it's, it's, it's whatever you want it to be it's two days before this and yet the day after um she's she's already being tributed 
okay. uh, in an episode. So we're good on that. Um, which also, side note, in my mind, Anne Ranking was never a singer. So like when I found out she did Cassie in Chorus Line, I was like, how does she do music in the mirror? That's like C's belted all the time. She did it. She found, I found an audio of her in Good Time Charlie where she's like singing. Yeah, she's wailing. And also yeah. she did Cassie with her hair down. I mean, like talk about fears. Talk about fears. And like had Michael Bennett re-choreograph that number for her. I am obsessed. Yeah, anyway, but- so you can play whatever track you want right now, but I'm going to be going, <laughs> you gotta change your Yo, ways hey, today. Oh, hey. uh, you're listening, Joe. I'm talking to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, she's phenomenal. No, it'll be Debbie Allen. We'll do Debbie Allen. All right. Yeah. So this is Debbie. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Go check out Christmas on the Square, uh, either for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or New Year's, whatever you want. It's honestly, it can be played any at any old time as far as I'm concerned. I agree. I think it's a year-long movie. <laughs> it's a year-long movie. What is time anyway? All right. No. Take us away, Debbie. Bye. Bye. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.